may have heard of John Payton. He was a missionary to the uh, South Sea Islands of New Hebrides. And he labored for the conversion of uh, cannibalistic tribesmen. And he has, his wife, Marianne, they had set off on this uh, trip to Tana, an island in the New Hebrides area. And it was in 1858, and he was full of health. And he had hope for the conversion of souls. Three months later, his wife had a baby boy. And all was wonderful, joyful, they were happy and healthy. But two, la- two days later, Marianne was stricken with a fever. John watched her as she was languishing and faced delirium and weakness. And her, her fever grew ever and ever more severe. She developed pneumonia. She became delirious and she died three weeks later. The child also died. To make matters worse, John had become ill as well. Uh, He was suffering from his own fever, his dehydration. He had pneumonia and delirium as well. And the Lord just gave him just enough reprieve and strength to bury his family. While he was in anguish over feeling like he had been wrong to bring them there, He describes the feelings that he had as the darkness of midnight. Listen to his words. He says, stunned by that dreadful loss and entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord himself had so evidently led me, my reason seems for a time almost to have given way. Ague and fever, too, laid a depressing and weakening hand upon me, continually recurring and oftentimes the very height of its worst burning stages. But I was never altogether forsaken. The ever-merciful Lord sustained me. What a viewpoint. In the midst of his suffering, the ever-merciful Lord sustained me. He later says that he buried his dead in faith and hope And it was only the fellowship of the Lord Jesus that kept him going and keeping him from being mad beside that lonely grave. He later said that the Lord gave him joy even in the midst of this trial. Why does God take children through such dark valleys? And I mean his children. How is it, though, that a believer can be brought so low as John Payton and yet come through with such hope in God? Well, I believe in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, we have the answer. You can turn there. 2 Corinthians is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul, who is serving the Lord with his younger co-worker, Timothy. It's written to the church in Corinth, and believers who he calls saints, and they're scattered all throughout the Roman province of Asia, of Achaia, rather. It's part of uh, modern-day Greece. As Paul's custom was, he, he writes to these believers, and he starts with a prayer of blessing. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 2. And then often he begins his letters with a prayer in the form of a blessing toward God. And that's what he does in verse 3 when he starts this section of blessed be. That's the beginning of our passage today in verses 3 through 11. God is going to give us five truths to consider to help you and me to find comfort in the midst of our affliction. The first truth is that you have a need for comfort. Is that true? You have a need for comfort. Why is this? Because you are going to face affliction. Job chapter 5 verse 7 tells us that man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. In this sin-cursed world, Jesus says you will have tribulation. Look at our passage today and how many times the Apostle Paul uses the words affliction and suffering. And just follow me through some certain phrases. In verse 4 he says, who comforts us in all our affliction. 
so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Verse 6, but if we are afflicted, it goes on to talk about patient endurings of the same sufferings with which we suffer. Verse 7 continues, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings. And then in verse 8, he kind of ramps it up and describes the affliction that he is facing. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death. A lot about affliction, a lot about suffering. What is affliction? What is suffering? There are two words used in this passage that help us to understand the trial that Paul's referring to. The first, and I'll give you the Greek word, is thlipsis. I give you that because it's translated differently in many of our versions. You might find it translated affliction or distress or trouble or trial or tribulation. One dictionary defines it as the trouble that inflicts distress oppression, affliction, or tribulation. So we have something that is referred to as that which causes these things that it's translated as. And so you might say, that's my affliction. That event, that circumstance, that issue in my life is my trouble, is my affliction, is my burden. So something extreme has happened to Paul. When he was in Asia, verse 8 says, and, and something caused him this affliction, this weight, this suffering, this trial, this distress, despair, depression, and almost death, he says. And the thing about an affliction is it causes the other word that we see in our text, and that is suffering. Paul uses the word suffering four times. He refers to it as the sufferings of Christ, verse 5 the same suffering which we also suffer in verse 6, and finally that he speaks of the Corinthians as sharers of our sufferings in verse 7. What is your affliction? It's okay to go ahead and think about, as we go through this passage, the thing in your life or things in your life that cause you to suffer. It may be a disease. It may be broken relationships. Maybe the death of a loved one. Some horrible tragedy or, or some type of great loss in your life. You might be suffering physically, mentally, or emotionally. But this passage gives us help today in all of those circumstances. We don't know specifically what Paul's affliction was. He just says it happened to him in Asia, and there's many different theories of that. But I think that it's wonderful that God did not pinpoint a specific type of affliction or trial so that it might apply to all of us in any affliction. Amen. Paul does describe the kinds, the various kinds of affliction that you face he describes these over in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter. He speaks there of afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, and hunger. Any of that sound familiar? Trials come in many shapes and sizes. Uh, James refers to them as, uh, as trials of many kinds. For you, it may be some of these that we've mentioned. It might be poverty. It could be uh, uh, the different things that are kind of catastrophic in a society uh, in the world, like wars and famines and uh, natural disasters. But think about the depth that affliction can take. The depth of Paul's affliction in verses 8 and 9 Every single word just about seems to carry some coloring of the depth of affliction. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. 
Just think about the heaviness of that affliction. He says, we were burdened. Do you feel that way? Sometimes you're, you're weighed down. We can be so burdened by affliction that sometimes uh, you might even lie down and you feel like you can't breathe because there's such a weight on your chest. This resonates, doesn't it? That, that we can be very weighed down by something that's happened to us, something we've gone through, something we're still going through, something that may be with us our entire life. They're burdening. Over in chapter five, verse four, Paul uses the same word. He says, for indeed, while we are in this tent, this fleshly body, we groan being burdened. And listen to the degree of affliction. He says that he wasn't just burdened. Look at how he describes the intensity of it. He says, we were burdened excessively. There's a, a even greater extent of the burdening there. You see, our, our trials sometimes can become extreme, can't they? And listen to the helplessness that this left him in. He says, he adds that it was beyond our strength. He, he got to a point where he and Timothy said, we can't do it. We can't go on. You ever felt that way? I just can't do it. I don't know if you've ever watched some of those uh, strongest men in the world competitions. Uh, my sons and I really love to watch those. And there's, there's this one guy that... Uh, um, he's something like, uh, well, I can't remember his name right now, but I'll let you know if I think about it. But um, they, they do things like pull trains and carry telephone poles and put boulders on top of pedestals and throw barrels of water behind their, uh, over their head behind them over something like goalposts. And, but it's just amazing to watch them Again and again and again throughout this competition, you see these mountains of muscles become limp rags. Every one of them finds their breaking point. Every one of them, except the champion, and even the champions fall at certain points, has to say at some point, I'm not strong enough. Spiritually speaking, we think of Paul, for instance, as one of those giants, one of those he-men of Christianity. But there was a weight so great that he says, it is beyond my strength. Have you felt that way? Maybe you are in that place today that you're like, I can't do this. This is way beyond me. I've got to the end of my strength Maybe you can't see an end to this trial. You, you can know, though, that Paul was right there. Isn't it encouraging to know that somebody like Paul, the Apostle Paul, was right there in the same kind of situation that you may find yourself in? And listen to the impact of this burdening affliction that was excessive and beyond his strength. He says, and it goes on in verse 8, So that we despaired even of life. Despair. You don't usually see that go together. The apostle Paul and despair. Indeed, verse 9, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. It was devastating. They're thinking, we're not going to make it. There are people all the time trying to kill Paul. And internally, though, here, he had given himself the death sentence. This time it's over. We're going to die. Now, I think it's very important for us to realize that this is a very real experience of a Christian. There are Pollyanna Christians who, who think that joy and contentment are just as happy, or just as easy, rather, as singing, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Or the old song, uh, You Had a Bad Day. I call these popomatic Christians. They've never really faced intense trials and they don't understand why people can't just snap out of it. But if you live long enough, you come to realize that life is full of conflict and broken relationships and rebellion against authority and immorality and financial insecurity and on and on and on it goes, right? 
But I want you to realize that it is normal for you to not respond to life's devastating circumstances with instant grace, joy, and contentment. We're going to see that this passage can help get you there, but it's a process. Just look at Paul in another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, where he talks about affliction. He says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. Christians can get this way and God knows it. We can actually be weighed down with grief so much that we're depressed. I've, I've felt that. While pastoring in Burbank, I had the opportunity to preach through about 60 of the Psalms. And what I noticed again and again and again throughout these Psalms was that the, the prayers of the godly people display a process that God takes you through. Many psalms begin this way. Consider my groanings. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in trouble? Help, Lord. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Man has trampled upon me. God, you've rejected us and you've broken us. You see, anguished and devastated believers Human hearts that are at the end of their rope. But by the end of their prayer, they're saying things like, through God we shall do valiantly. And oh my strength, I will sing praises to the the God, for you are my stronghold. You're the, the God who shows me loving kindness. What a process. God expects that you will need to be brought through this process of moving from grief depression and devastation to trust in him which brings joy and contentment. And when we find people at the front end of this process, we should not be quick to judge. But rather, we should empathize if we can and sympathize as we must. But it's equally true, brothers and sisters, that no one should stay at the front end of that process. Paul doesn't just go on about his affliction. I was afflicted in Asia, excessively burdened, no strength, despairing of life, depressed, convinced I was going to die. Oh, Asia, oh, Asia. No. We see him move forward. He knew that God loved him. God had a purpose for this affliction and he wanted Paul to move to trust in him. What is the purpose of our affliction? Why did God let Paul and Timothy get so low? Paul came to realize that God had purposes for this affliction. And we see the first two purposes in verse 9. He says, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's the first purpose of the trials, that we would not trust in ourselves. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of obvious there. I mean, Paul gets to the point where if I'm trusting in myself, I'm going to die. I can't do this. God's first aim in trials is to put an end to your self-confidence. It's really easy for us to go through life living in the delusion that we're strong enough. Strong enough to handle everything that comes our way. But suffering is designed by God to bring to our attention what is true all the time. That we are finite creatures absolutely dependent upon God for absolutely everything. Paul looked within and he said, I see no strength, I see only death. That's what God is doing in your life through affliction. Don't miss it. He wants to bring you to a point where you stop relying upon and depending upon yourself and his 
his God-ordained affliction, and, it, and you must realize and embrace this, that it is God-ordained affliction that you're going through. Whatever form it comes in, it removes things from us. It, it puts us in circumstances, and, and he wants you to get to the end of your strength. It's similar to what Paul says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. He talks about how God was going to keep him humble, this came into his life, this, this famous thorn in the flesh. He says in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Twice he says that. To keep me from exalting myself. God also wants to make you pray. That's, that's what you do when you can't depend on yourself anymore, right? You start to trust God. Paul said in verse 8 of Second uh, Corinthians 12, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So, not only is he not exalting himself, he's praying, praising God, he's praying to the Lord. And, and it makes us dependent. Verse 9, he said, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And that's amazing, isn't it, really? You think about it, you know, okay, so in this affliction, God has got me to a point where I'm in utter despair and depressed and and weak and can't depend upon myself and all that's revealed to me. And uh, so... All of a sudden you realize, I need the grace of God. And I'm dependent upon him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, my, for power is perfected in weakness. And when we're dependent upon him, it all of a sudden makes us content. Paul said in verse 10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's good sometimes for God to just lay you out. you know, <laughs> For you to just be on your bed in tears. For you to be lying on the ground with no strength. Because when you're weak, and you recognize it, then you're strong. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have a Father who loves you, He wants to use you mightily, but with His might, His power. Another purpose of trials would be to test and strengthen your faith. We see that in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials show us that our faith is like muscle. To make muscle stronger, you, you stretch it. You, you break it down through weightlifting process or other exercises, and it grows stronger, doesn't it? And that's what God wants to do with your faith. He wants to stretch you, to test your faith so that it will become stronger. It produces endurance, and it has a perfect result that you'll be complete, lacking in nothing. So, you're going to face for, uh, affliction, so you're going to need comfort. Well, what is the source for that comfort? You have a source for comfort, and it is the triune God. <laughs> the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that this one God who is three persons is interactive in this loving relationship with one another and with each person and you as a child of God. First of all, we see God the Father. (laughs) In verse 2, Paul begins his his letter with a, a little prayer that's really Uh, showing that God is a source of grace and peace. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father, first of all. And grace uh, is certainly unmerited favor. We are saved by grace. There's, There's no works by which we are saved. 
We trust solely in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as we say. But grace is also referred to in the scriptures as the power that comes as a result of that favor that God gives us to accomplish what he wants to make us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. So, my grace is sufficient means that the grace is, is not just his favor, but also the power that he's going to give us to affect his purpose in our trial. The Father is also the source of peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Peace is that, that inner tranquility of mind, the, the rest that you can have in God when you're going through the trial. And so the God the Father is saying, I love you, my child, and I'm going to give you the grace to carry you through this. I'm going to give you the peace that you'll need to quiet your disturbed and despairing and depressed mind. And he's the source of mercy. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. <laughs> you need mercy? You need somebody to, to look upon you with compassion and, and pity and be moved to help you? Well, the Father is the Father of mercies. He's got all the mercy you need. And he's the source of your comfort as well. It says that he is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I love this. He's the God of comfort. You need comfort. And you have someone who's the source of comfort. And he comforts. Paul says in verse 4, who comforts us? The Father who is the God of all comfort, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we are comforted by God. He's the God of comfort. He comforts in all affliction, and he says, I'm comforted by God. He just emphasizes that several times there. And he can comfort powerfully. Verse 9 says, we're to trust in God who raises the dead. Just think about Lazarus. <coughs> think about Martha and Mary and how comforted they were when Jesus raised their brother from the dead. Wouldn't that be comforting? We have, we have a powerful God who can comfort. He can raise the dead. And just think about the disciples and the ladies that went to the grave. Were they not comforted when Jesus, their Savior, had been crucified and killed and buried? had suffered in such a, a horrible way, and then they went and they discovered that he is alive. We have a living Savior. And think of, think of how comforted we should be. We're to comfort one another with these words that we shall see him, we shall be like him. We're going to attain to the resurrection of the dead one day. All of this suffering, all of this pain, all of these tears, all of this despair, all of these trials, all of this tribulation, everything will be done one day. We trust in him who raises the dead. I love the book of Revelation where it says, uh, and God himself will be among us and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no longer any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Hallelujah. Well, not only does the Father comfort us, but we also have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who is the source of comfort, comfort as well. Uh, we see that he's the source of grace and mercy. Back in verse 2, it said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a dual fountain of grace and peace. The Father and the Son, both. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we have a need, when we have a trial, we're supposed to go to Jesus, our great high priest, and to find help. You just need that word, help. Maybe that's all you can say sometimes. Cry out to him. He's also the source of peace. Peace, as we've just seen. He's he's the source of our relationship with the Father. In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is also in a relationship to the Father as a child. And, And in Christ, we are also brought into this familial relationship. That's what eternal life is, after all, right? That we may know God. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. The Father and the Son. One of the highlights of this passage is verse 5. It says, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Jesus suffers with us as we suffer for him and for his sake. I think we're, we're bid by that uh, passage to think about the sufferings of Christ. Just think of all that Christ did in his suffering. Christ absorbed the wrath of God. He propitiated the wrath of God and he did it by suffering. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus, as he hung on that cross, suffered in our place for all of our sin. He was cursed. He received the curse of the law that we deserved. And Christ bore our sins and he purchased our forgiveness through his suffering. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Christ provided his life as a perfect righteousness for us that becomes ours in him. And he did it by suffering. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Christ defeated death by suffering. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same. He became flesh and blood. He became a man that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You're not subject to lifelong slavery. You have, to, you, you have no reason to have fear of death because of the sufferings of Christ. And he disarmed Satan, who is uh, the accuser of the brethren, the, the one that wants to usurp us or to kill us. In Colossians 2, 14 and 15, it says that the, the record of the debt set against us, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And Christ purchased the final healing for all of his people, and he did it through his suffering. Isaiah 53, 5, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And Revelation 7, 17 says, The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And Christ will finally bring us to God, and he will do it by his suffering. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The sufferings of Christ. Look at all he accomplished on our behalf in his suffering. But let me tell you this, that the world is not finished killing Jesus. 
And if he were walking this earth again in his incarnation, they would kill him just the same as they did again. And inasmuch as you and I follow him and are like him, it is determined that we will be persecuted as well. We will face suffering as we follow our suffering Savior. Since they can't persecute and kill him, they may kill us. In Colossians 1.24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. When Paul was on the road to Damascus and he, he met our merciful Lord who, who saved him, uh, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? You see, we are his body, the church, and we suffer for him. But he's the source of abundant comfort. He, he, he comes back to this passage in 2 Corinthians and he says, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ he has abundant comfort for us isn't that amazing to think he suffered so much for us and we wish we would have wished and all the disciples would have wished and all the women who followed him would have wished his mother would have wished is there some way that I can comfort him but no he comforts us And he even prays for you. Romans 8, 34, it says, Christ is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You can know you have him interceding for you while you're going through your trial. Hebrews 7, 24, 26 through 26, it says, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You come to him, you say, help. I need mercy. I need grace. And he prays for you. That's not all. There are three persons of the Holy Trinity. The third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And he is the way we innerly, inwardly receive this comfort. While we exist in this sin-cursed world, the Spirit prays for us as well. He gives us this relationship with the Father. Uh, in Galatians 4 or 6, it says that he is the Spirit who enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. He gives you that sense in your life, in your soul, in your heart that you have a relationship with God and he's your father and you cry out to him, Abba, Father. And he groans with us. In Romans 8, it's, it's fascinating. Three times we see groaning happening and it's all because of uh, the sin-cursed world in which we live. And in Romans 8, 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. All of creation's groaning. We see it in earthquakes and hurricanes and, and landslides and floods. In verse 23 it says, And not only this, we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. All of your physical ailments, all the things you suffer in this life as a result of sin in yourself or the world around you or Satan's attacks, they, they cause a groaning, don't they? But Romans 8.26 says in the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows that God's purpose is to make us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And he is just... Involved in that 
angst that all creation is involved in wanting to see the redemption of all creation and and as we are in as we're fighting as we're suffering as we're we're groaning and he's right there with us the compassionate holy spirit he intercedes for us And in the midst of your trial, he gives the fruit of the Spirit as well. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 gives us different aspects or types of fruit that we are to expect. And one of those is joy. Another is peace. Another is patience. You need any of that as you go through your trial? Yeah, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to be with you and in you producing these sorts of things. And he is going to complete our sanctification also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. One day we'll be like him. Well, you have a need for comfort? You've got a great source for comfort, don't you? You also have a means for comfort. We could say that, you know, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit do comfort us through various means and, and his word is certainly one of those. But, but I want to focus on a, a very special means of comfort and that is the people in our lives. Have you ever been comforted by another person in your life? Has God ever used people? I think we can learn from this how important it is to, to share our trials with one another. Paul wants us to make sure that we know that we're not alone in affliction. As he relates his experience to these Corinthians, he calls them brethren, a a term that reminds us that we're part of a family. That's so important for a church to be a family. We're not just a place to come on Sunday for worship, although we are, but we are also to be interconnected and caring and loving one another. Paul even calls the trial our affliction. Back in verse 1, we saw the letters addressed by Paul and Timothy. And so Timothy is one of his traveling companions. And we can learn from this how important it is to have partners in ministry. Don't be alone in your affliction. Friendships are forged in the fires of affliction. Friendships are forged in the fires of affliction. You become, you become tighter. You become uh, dependent upon one another. You, you, be, you come to grow in your love for one another. You're, you're cemented. You have a bond with another person if you suffer together. You need people to comfort you. Verse four, he says, speaks of God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Part of God's goal in all this, he's gonna comfort you so you can comfort somebody else. He's gonna say, yes, you're going through this suffering. You've lost a child. Now, They've lost a child. Go, be with your family member. Love them, show them mercy. You've gone through a divorce. Now help that one who's gone through a divorce now. You've experienced this overwhelming bout with cancer that's brought you low, but God has brought you through, and now there's a person with cancer You have had unbelieving children, they're adult children, you're begging God to save them. Perhaps one has become a Christian or perhaps you're still in that trial. Someone now has a child that graduates, they go off to college, they lose what you thought was their faith, they turn away, they reject you, and you need comfort from somebody else. You need people to comfort you. You need people to suffer with you. Verse six, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. 
And our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. That's very similar to the previous one, the idea that, that you're able to comfort others. But even more so, it's important that you share the sufferings together. That you're right there with them. I'm going to help you bear this burden. Are we not to bear one another's burdens? This, this, this is tough. But this puts a, a claim upon you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that you're not, there are not to be any lone rangers. There are not to be people who are isolated. You need the body of Christ. And you need people to pray for you. In 2 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, And he will yet deliver us, you also joining in, helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. All of these sentences are kind of packed and they're, they're kind of circular. I comfort you, you comfort me, we share the same sufferings, you know, God comforts us. And, and we see this in verse 11 there, 10 and 11. Uh, he will deliver us, you helping us through your prayers to God so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. You see that? There's like a circle of prayer that just keeps going and going and going and going that we ought to be part of. Your prayer life ought to be packed with people. It's so easy to be just focused on my trial and affliction in Asia. When God wants, he has a bigger purpose. The church, his body, his people come together, suffer with one another, help one another, share with one another, and pray for one another. And watch. Watch what the God who raises the dead does in answers to our prayers. When things get tough, get excited. Because God's going to be glorified and you're going to grow. You can have the fruit of this comfort. There's so many things that happen in this passage that we see that are the result of God comforting. You know, in verse four he says he comforts us in all of our afflictions. So, so part of the fruit of the comfort that the Holy Spirit, the Son of God and the Father give you is that you're now comforted. Isn't that a fascinating thing? You know, you're going through this trial and you just all of a sudden recognize, I'm comforted. Been going through this trial and, and all of a sudden you you get to that point where you can comfort other people wow somebody else is going through this i recognize that i can comfort them you have another piece of the fruit you're you're thank you're sanctified they're sanctified verse six it says if we are afflicted is for your comfort and salvation now salvation there is not talking about their initial coming to faith in Christ. Sanct salvation can also speak of the whole process whereby he makes us more like Christ. And so he's saying that's another part of the fruit of comfort. When you're comforted, you grow, you help others grow. And you have hope, verse seven. He says, and our hope for you is firmly grounded. In verse 10 he says, he on whom we have set our hope. All of a sudden you see yourself in the midst of this devastating, depressing near-death experience, and all of a sudden you find, I, but I have hope. These are miraculous things that the triune God does in our hearts. Uh, and you find yourself trusting God, verse 9, that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And then you experience deliverance from your trial, verse 10, who, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Have, there's a past he looks to. He says, who delivered us from so great a peril of death? There's a near future. He says, and he will deliver us. And there is a distant future, and he will yet deliver us. 
He's the delivering God who raises the dead and he's got deliverance for you in every aspect of your life. And while you may not be delivered from this particular trial you're going through, you will be ultimately delivered from it all. Well, all this brings us to the last point. You can reach the goal of comfort. What is the goal? Well, the goal of everything is that we would glorify God in everything, right? And that's what happens when you watch this process in your life. Is by his grace, he brings you to a point where you glorify him because all of this is true and you see it. And you practice the prayer. You practice the praise. And you find yourself praying like Paul. I said that this is a prayer that Paul presents to them in this letter, right? You start finding yourself in verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You can, get, you can be brought to that point. From the depths of despair to blessing God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so we'll be able to comfort others. And you also find yourself praying in verse 11 through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed. You find yourself finally blessing God and thanking God with a whole bunch of other people. I pray that this will enable you to find comfort in whatever whatever affliction you're going through today and that you'll be able to help others in these many ways. Let's pray. God, wow, what a piece of scripture you've given us today. You decided that you would help us, Lord, through your word, by your spirit, for the glory of Christ. And so we bless you, Lord. I know there are many things my brothers and sisters here today might be facing And I pray that you would help them. I pray that you'd walk them through this process, but that they would not go through it alone, that they would also have brothers and sisters help bear their burdens. Make us think of that today. Who do we care for? Thank you for all those ways you've delivered us in our lives. Every one of us can probably think of some way that you've gotten us through before. And we look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when we shall see him and we shall be like him and when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrows, no more suffering. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.